Please rise now as we hear the call of our Heavenly Father. The call this morning comes from Psalm 135. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise Him, O you servants of the Lord, you who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises to His name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel for his special treasure. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, what have we been called to do but to praise the Lord? Let's do so beginning with 570 if you need it. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And then 212, come thou almighty king. Two ten, I mean, sorry, two twelve. Come, thou mighty king. pray. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for calling us to yourself. What a privilege it is to be called by God. Eternal life 
based upon your work, your grace, your love, your mercy, your care. And the evidence of that is being called children of God and being called by our Heavenly Father to, into his very presence right now. We acknowledge this is the most important thing we can do this week is to appear before you because you have called us. You've not asked, you've commanded. And we thank you, Lord, for that privilege. And so we ask that you would enable us today to worship you in spirit and in truth. As you call us to walk in the spirit. And so, Lord, we pray that you would grant unto us the work of that of you, Holy Spirit, that we would hear and receive, trust and obey. We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for enabling us, for tearing from top to bottom that veil, that wall of separation, and that we are now not aliens and strangers, but members of the household of God, citizens of heaven. And so we pray that you would enable us to honor our King with word and deed, we pray this day. Speak to us, O Lord, from heaven, and let us be able to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, please please be seated. This morning we have opportunity to confess our sins with a responsive reading from Psalm 51, verses 1 through 8, found in your bulletin. I'll read the light type if you could respond in the dark type. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak, and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the work that you did through the prophet Nathan, bringing your word to David. And this is the fruit of the work of the Spirit in bringing conviction of sin that David avoided for so long. We do pray that you do that work in us as well today. That we would acknowledge our sins against you and against one another. That we have not honored you. We have not obeyed you. We have not even trusted you. We have made other things our idol, our God, instead of you. So we are guilty of idol worship, of worshiping our own wills, of serving ourselves rather than serving our God. 
and we have sinned against our neighbor in thought, word, and deed. These sins, starting in the heart, find expression outwards. So like David, we do pray, have mercy upon us, O God. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out our transgressions. Wash us thoroughly from our iniquity and cleanse us from our sin. We know that in order for that to happen, you, Lord Jesus, had to suffer in our place. You who knew no sin, you had to take upon yourself our sin, the sins we have committed. And you had to lay down your life. You had to experience the deserts, the reward, the penalty, the consequences of our sin. And as we think about how, how you suffered, not only on the cross, but before, how you came into this sin-cursed world in rebellion against you, and you lived among us perfectly. And so we acknowledge, O oh Lord, that your love to us was such that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. We thank you for that, and we pray that you would enable us to rest in your word that says if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus, for laying down your life once for all and rising again the third day. We thank you that you have accomplished that which was necessary for our salvation. And so we do pray, as, as the end of that prayer, that psalm, grant unto us the wisdom of salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and lift our voices in praise for God's forgiveness in Christ. Uh, let us celebrate our Lord Jesus. Uh, hymn number 349, O Jesus, we adore Thee. stand.
seated. You know, on that first phrase there, O Jesus, we adore thee, upon the cross, our King. And I was thinking, as I sang that, I thought about the insignia over the cross that Pilate had placed there. What did he write? The King of the Jews. Why did he write that? That was actually against the law for Pilate to say that. Pilate could not have gotten in trouble. He was doing it to mock the Jews, the people of God. But isn't it amazing that he actually stated the truth, that Jesus is the King of Kings. Amen? Amen. All right, today we have opportunity, not only as it said in the song, it also says that, O Jesus, we confess thee, the Son enthroned on high, and then references him as Lord. Uh, And so we have an opportunity this morning to confess uh, our sovereign Lord God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Who's the boss? Jesus is, or I should say the triune God is. And so let us do so uh, using the Nicene Creed this morning. And so you'll find that on page five, uh, 852, if you'll turn to that and let us together speak as one family, family members of the family of God, confessing our triune God. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, what is it you believe? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God, a very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. So a lot of that when we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ is talking about history. And this is a season where even the non-Christian, even if they don't know it, like Pilate, not realizing the reality, are celebrating the birth of our Savior, the birth of Christ Jesus. Isn't that what Christmas is about? He's the reason for the season, right? We're celebrating what? What it says there. 
who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven. What does the name Jesus mean? Do you know what the angel Gabriel said to Joseph? His name shall be called Jesus, for he will save everybody from their sins or his people from, his, from their sins. So when every time you say Jesus, you're saying Jehovah is salvation. The Lord is salvation. Amen? All right, so we are finishing this year the Canons of Dort. Lord's Day number 50, I do have a conclusion I'll put in the bulletin next week, uh, but we won't go over that. Um, so let us, if you, ha- you see that half sheet in the bulletin, uh, if you'll turn to that, and um, we are finishing the rejection of errors. We've been working our way through these five, uh, five heads of doctrine, and again, we've been looking at the perseverance of God, and in particular of the Holy Spirit. Uh, perseverance of the saints. And so uh, we will we'll read responsibly. I'll read the light type, if you could read the dark type. The true doctrine, having been explained, the synod rejects the errors of those who teach that it is not absurd that one having lost his first regeneration is again and even often born anew. For these deny by this doctrine the incorruptibleness of the seed of God, whereby we are born again. Contrary to the testimony of the apostle Peter, having been begotten again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. The synod rejects the errors of those who teach that Christ has in no place prayed that believers should infallibly continue in faith. For they contradict Christ himself, who says, I made supplication for thee, Simon, that thy faith fail not, and that the evangelist John, who declares that Christ has not prayed for the apostles only, but also for those who through their word would believe. Holy Father, keep them in thy name, and... I pray not that thou shouldest take them from the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil one. So here we are uh, addressing the final two paragraphs. Uh, and again, uh, uh, the conclusion I will put up in the bulletin next week, Lord willing. Um, why is the subject of regeneration, why does it come up again and again in the discussion of the perseverance of the saints. Why is that? What is that issue here? In essence, the reason is because regeneration is the essence of perseverance. The new life implanted by the Holy Spirit abides and maintains that life. It says there, incorruptible seed. The problem is, if you believe that you regenerated yourself by your faith, how are you doing with your faith? Is it always solid? Is it always 100%? Is it always there? No. It comes and goes. So the Arminian says, well, then you lose your regeneration. 
And then if you believe again, now you're, re you're regenerated again. That's what they're thinking, is regeneration is the result of faith, not the cause of faith. In other words, regeneration pre uh, faith precedes regeneration. Do you believe that? That you make yourself born again? That's what these people are saying. Read it again. That it is not absurd uh, that ha one having lost his first regeneration is again and often born again. That you make yourself born again? Did you make yourself born? Did you cause your birth? Does, did you cause your born again, if you're regenerate? What does Jesus say to Nicodemus? Born of the water and the spirit. It's the spirit who causes regeneration. Brings dead people to life. You don't do it. Dead man doesn't choose. Okay? But because of that error, they say you can lose your regeneration and you're dead again. You can be alive and dead and alive and dead. That's what they're teaching. And, he, and they say it's not absurd. What is the answer? How is it, how is it responded? What does the synod say? Not according to our opinion the, or the Bible. What did you just quote? Having been begotten again, not by, of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, that which does not fade away. The work of regeneration is the work of God. Who gets the glory? God does. There are many taught that regeneration can be lost. Once it's lost, it can be found, it can be again and again and again, or it can be permanently lost. Why? Like I said, the view on I cause myself to be regenerated, also a false view of original sin. And so what is the answer? Scripture. What does God say? We rely on the word of God, not on the opinions of men. The other objection there is that Christ has no place prayed that believers should be infallibly continue in faith. And what is the answer again to that error? Scripture. No, Jesus prayed for us. Did you know that? That Jesus prayed for you 2,000 years ago? Recorded in the Gospel of John? Did you know that? Prayed for you specifically 2,000 years ago. Isn't that wonderful? He prays for you now, but he, we actually have it in writing. Right? So I'd like to end with this one quote uh, from one author. One can never satisfy the unbelieving opponents. The deepest ground of their contradiction of the truth, then, is not that they find the Reformed doctrine unscriptural, but it is enmity of heart against the doctrine of Scripture, which runs contrary to the self-righteous and proud nature of man. In other words, the matter is spiritual and concerns not merely the mind, but the heart. He who principally loves the truth of God's word will see and understand that truth, when it is expounded to him, will reject the error and will gladly embrace that truth even when it necessitates letting go of errors 
which he has long accepted as true. But he who principally hates the truth will continue to find all kinds of objections and arguments against it, no matter how inconsistent and illogical and unscriptural such arguments may be. He is intent upon gainsaying the truth of God at all costs. Pretty strong language, isn't it? Is your heart, is your mind captivated by the word of God? That's basically the problem here, is the heart. Where is your heart? Amen. In our preparations now for the sermon, let us uh, lift our voices and sing hymn number 209. Here is the, a song of a, a brother uh, who lived long time ago, Ambrose of Milan. Uh, he lived in 340 to 397 A.D. It was translated by Lewis Benson. Here is a, a heart of one who is walking in the Spirit. Let us rise and sing, O splendor of God's glory bright.
Please turn in, in your Bibles. Uh, Old Testament scripture reading is Psalm 14. And our New Testament scripture reading is our text. Actually, we'll start reading in verse 15 of chapter 5 of Ephesians. But let's go ahead and start with uh, Psalm 14. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. Psalm 14, Psalm of David. The fool has said in his heart, No, God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread, and do not call on the Lord? There they are in great fear, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You shame the counsel of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation of Israel would come out of Zion, when the Lord brings back the captivity of his people, let Jacob rejoice, and Israel be glad. Again, in the New Testament, turning to the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 5, we'll begin reading verse 15. See then that you walk accurately, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another in the fear of God. The grass withers, the flower falls, but God's word abides forever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do ask, as Solomon did, we ask for an understanding heart to be able to take this portion of your word that was given so long ago through the Apostle Paul to our brothers and sisters in Ephesus, as we are called to walk in the Spirit, to walk following Jesus, uh, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would enable us, equip us to be able to be thankful for all things, as it says, thankful for our redemption, thankful for our sanctification, thankful for the work of the Spirit in applying the work of Christ in fulfillment of the will of the Father, thankful for that perseverance till the end that you've promised. Enable us, O Lord, to persevere. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, what makes biblical Christianity unique? 
Now, biblical Christianity is referenced as a religion. And there are many religions in the world. What makes biblical, and notice how I add that, biblical Christianity unique among all of the religions of the world? Well, you could say all of those other religions are man-made. They're all made, man making an attempt to reach God. Okay? So, I mean, you could say it that way. All religions, apart from biblical Christianity, is a man-made religion attempting to reach God. What is biblical Christianity? God reaching man. God revealing himself to man. God coming down, becoming man. God saving man. So from one perspective, it's very clear. But here is also an other aspects of Christianity that makes it unique, and one of them is that we are a religion of the book. We don't worship the Bible, but we are students, disciples, in the school of Christ, and this is our textbook, right? Or you could say it this way, we are loved of the triune God, and this is his love letter to us. We are people of the book. But also, Christianity is the religion of the Spirit. It is the result of the work of the Holy Spirit who applies what Jesus has accomplished, is accomplishing, will accomplish in our lives. It is a religion where that separation between God and man was ripped apart, and we now have the Spirit of God dwelling with us. We are the temple of God. He dwells with us, and he is changing us. My, one of my favorite passages is Paul writes, he's changing us from glory to glory into the image of Christ. Have you ever thought of yourself that way? That as the work of the Spirit in your life, as he's taking you from one level of glory to the next, as he deals with your sin and your rebellion and the hard heart and all your uh, besetting sins and, and all, what is he doing? He's making you more like Jesus. But it's a glorious thing he's doing. He's changing us from glory to glory to glory to glory into the image of Christ. You ever thought of it that way? Sanctification is the work of the Spirit. Christ, biblical Christianity is a religion of the Spirit. Also, biblical Christianity is a religion of the heart. Like I've said to you before, one of the things that I'm doing as I'm reading through my Bible, and I have been doing so, is every time I see the word heart, I circle it. You'll be amazed how many times the word heart shows up in the Bible. Why? Because it's important to God. If he has your heart, he has everything. If he doesn't have your heart, he doesn't have you. In our passage today, he talks about uh, the heart, doesn't he? Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts 
to the Lord. Giving thanks from the heart. So it's a religion of the heart. But in one more sense, biblical Christianity has come to be known historically as the religion of song. You ever thought of it that way? Religion of the song. Christians, back during the Reformation, went to their martyrdom and their death singing the psalm, singing the Bible, singing the Word of God. So much so that their persecutors couldn't stand it, so they cut out their tongues. So they could not sing on their way to their death. Imagine that. Biblical Christianity because of the grace of God, what is our, the best way we can say thank you? Singing his praises. Will we be doing that in eternity? I was listening to a song this week and it reminded me of that thought. And that is, when the redeemed of the Lord open their voice in heaven and start to celebrate and sing of being redeemed by the blood of the Lamb... What will the angels have to do? They will have to shut their mouths and listen. Because we are the redeemed of the Lord. We can sing of that redemption through the blood of Christ. And all of heaven and all of earth will be silent before God. As the redeemed of the Lord come with singing into Zion and everlasting joy shall be upon their head. So what makes biblical Christianity unique? I just ran through about at least five reasons. Maybe you can come up with another as well. Main point, if you want to look at it there in the bulletin, kind of covered it a bit. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 24-30. And in wisdom... He has provided for us all things necessary for life and godliness. This includes wisdom from above and the ever-present and active Holy Spirit of God. Our salvation from sin and death is His gracious work. Who gets the glory? He does. So also our being changed from glory to glory into the image of Christ is His gracious work. How should we say thank you? By walking in reliance and submission to him. That's what Paul has been saying since he covered uh, starting in chapter 4. Walk according, walk worthy to the calling with which you were called. So how do I say thank you? By walking, following Jesus, walking in the Spirit. So there's the title of the sermon. So, context, quick context. What are we talking about? What is this letter about? You guys could tell me already. Uh, one word, see if anybody got One word, th this is a letter of? Yes! Thank you. Letter of? Grace. Right? Three chapters, half the letter. What is, Jesus, what is Paul talking about? Seated in Christ in heavenly places. Is that grace? Are you seated in heaven because of what you've done? What you will do? 
what you are doing now. No. Seated in Christ in heavenly places, and he says so when he says that in chapter 2. What does he say just before that? But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Is that being born again? Made us alive. Is that another way of saying being born again? Did you do that? Did you make yourself alive while you were dead? Going back to that other statement, isn't it? He said it that way. He made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved. Raised us up together. Made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he may show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast for we are his work of art, his poema, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, so now he's talking about walking. Created in Christ Jesus, we are his work of art, and now he's calling us to walk. Walk in the Spirit. So we are seated, our position, our identity is in Christ, and now we are walking with Jesus, our good shepherd. So let us continue on looking at um, what Paul says, ways that we can uh, say thank you and ways to walk. Again, verse 15 of our text, see then that you walk circumspectly or accurately, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. We looked at that last week. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so my first point there in the bulletin, not as fools, but as wise sons and daughters of the king. What does God say about the wisdom of this world? Again, wisdom. What is wisdom? Skill for living. The world, does the world have a skill in living? And the answer is yes. Can they, do they conduct themselves? Do they know how to, to uh, conduct themselves through life? Are they able to live and move and do things, have their being? And the answer is yes. But what does God say? When God looks at the wisdom of the world, what does he say of it? What's his evaluation? One word. Foolishness. Folly. Foolishness. The wisdom of the world of this world is foolishness. One place you can read that is in 1 Corinthians, Paul writing to the Corinthians. Not exactly the... Anyways, I'll stop there. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And before since, in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached 
to save those who believe. So he says, the world did not know God. What does Proverbs say, the beginning of wisdom? Anybody know? Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord, the awe of the Lord, the respect of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The world does not have a proper awe or respect or fear of the Lord. So though it claims to have wisdom, God says that it's foolishness. Godly wisdom is to recognize and acknowledge God. Okay? I'll say it again. Godly wisdom is to recognize and acknowledge God for who he is and what he does, as well as responding appropriately. Okay, there's that application. So do you have godly wisdom? Are you a, do you have the foolishness or the wisdom of this world or godly wisdom? What's the difference? Do you recognize and acknowledge God for who he is and what he does? We just confessed him, didn't we, in the Apostles' Creed? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator what? Of heaven and earth and everything. And one Lord, Jesus Christ. Who's the Lord? Jesus Christ. Not me, not you. Recognizing and acknowledging God for who he is and, and what he does, and to respond appropriately. How do we do that? Walking in the fear of the Lord. Right? Summary, right? Conducting your life with a proper respect of who God is. Simple stuff, right? Oh, yeah, that makes sense. It's easier said than done, right? How often we slip into not fearing the Lord, not trusting the Lord, trusting in ourselves, looking at ourselves, making another God. The wisdom of, of uh, godly wisdom is um, wisdom from God. It is focusing on who he is, his power, his presence, and his purpose. Orienting your mind around that. That's your starting point. You can, be, you can focus on whatever afterwards, but getting it right. Isn't that why we come to church? One of the reasons we come to church is to get our minds reoriented God's power, God's authority, he's the, he's the Lord, I'm not. God's presence, isn't that why we are here also? Two or more gather my name, where are, where's Jesus? We're in his presence. Does he come down or we go up? We go up. We're in the presence of the trying God right now, in his throne presence. Do we remind ourselves, do you pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Is that part of your, sometime during the week, sometime during the day, do you pray that? You're, you're the boss, I'm not, your kingdom come, your will be done. I went hunting this week a couple times, out hunting. It was really strange. I was hunting for pheasants and I saw five deers and no pheasants. And I went hunting for, for deer, and I found, I saw almost two dozen pheasants. No deer. And my wife prays, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. If it is the Lord's will. Rather than grant him success, if it is the Lord's will. Which is a good prayer. It is in the Bible. You pray that prayer. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. So how do you become wise? If this is true, godly wisdom is recognizing and acknowledging God for who he is and what he does. How do you become wise? The answer is through the gospel. Paul writes that God would make us wise for salvation. And he's telling that to his son Timothy. If you want to write that one down or look that one up, it's 2 Timothy 3.15. He says that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which is able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So how do you become wise? By grace through faith, and that not of yourself is a gift of God. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in the gospel. Leaving foolishness. Well, again, through grace, the application of God, Christ's work, but also the application of God's word. We call this... The preaching of the word, what? The means of grace, right? Through the word of God. God, through his grace, teaches us how to be wise. He orients our mind properly in the fear of the Lord, proper respect and awe. But how do you become wise? You take this and you study it, right? This is the wisdom of God. This is our instruction manual. This is our textbook in the school of Christ. Do you study the word of God to know and to do? Wisdom is, prop, is responding properly to the reality as God sees it. I like that definition. Again, I'll read it. Wisdom is responding properly to the reality as God sees it. Isn't that a good? Becoming aware of things as God sees it and then responding appropriately. That's what Paul is saying in our text this morning. See then that you walk accurately, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. How do you know what the will of the Lord is? Through the Word of God. Through the work of the Spirit. Directing us through the Word. So what should we do? What did Solomon do? When he was called on to do what God had called him to do, to be the king, what did he do? He sought the Lord. When God said, what do you want? What do you need? What did he say? Give me an understanding heart that I may be able to do what you called me to do. Ask for that. Pray for that. God, give me an understanding heart. It's my prayer for you that you pray that prayer. Not once, but every day. Right? We need to have that understanding heart. So we're called to walk. Next, point two, walk under the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit. Where did I get that? Verse 18. Do not be 
drunk. That's a bad translation. Okay. The word is used twice. I'll translate the way it should be translated. Do not be under the controlling influence of wine, which is, in which is dissipation, but be under the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul is saying here. Do not be under the controlling influence, controlling influence of wine, which results in dissipation. In other words, lack of self-control. What happens when someone is drunk? What does it do? It causes the lowering of, what is the word? Inhibition. Lowering of self-control. You do stupid things. Proverbs talks about that when talking about the excess of wine. You start seeing things. You start being not under the controlling influence of wine. Could you say the controlling influence of the internet? Could you say the controlling influence of money? Fame? On and on. You could, you could fill in more things there. He says, don't be under that controlling influence of wine. Where is excess? But be under the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, what's interesting about that, so it's the word filled. There's a difference between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit. We're not going to get into the whole baptism of the Holy Spirit issue. But notice here in verse 18. Is this, uh, notice what kind of verb this is. Do not be under controlling influence of wine. Do not be filled. Is that a command? Is that a command? Does that mean it's something you can do? A command is something, don't do this, but do this. Is he telling you to do something? Is it a command? Yes. Be filled with the Spirit. Is that something you do? Be not filled with wine. Is that something you do? Do you see the... So he's not talking about something that the Spirit does, like regeneration. He's talking about us submitting to the Holy Spirit. Understand, it's something we do. We are called to do. Be filled. Submit to the Holy Spirit to work in and through you. That's what Paul is saying. In other words, not my will, but thy will be done, right? Yes, provide for me the things I need, my daily bread and relationship restored and uh, protection against the enemy and temptation and all. All of those is the work of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, don't be unwise, but wise, submitting yourself to the Holy Spirit. So how do we do that? Or what is it, my third point, exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit? If so, then the Spirit's fruit or the results of the Spirit's work will become evident in your life. What is one of the ways to do so? 
Notice what it leads into. He leads into in verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. So what is the proper response to wisdom? What is the proper response to submission to the Holy Spirit? What does Paul say? It leads to worship. Singing from the heart. Speaking about God to one another. Singing about God to one another. In other words, the emotions are involved, isn't it? It's informed emotions. Joy is informed. Rejoicing. Speaking to one another. Singing, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. One author refers to that as wordless rhythm of the affections. Interesting. Wordless, but it's actually words. But it can be wordless. Can you express your affection, your love for Jesus without using words? Yes, by doing as well. Yes, words are there. Singing, making melody, making music. It can be playing with a stringed instrument. For those of you that have that gift, not most of us either don't have it or don't know they have it. How about singing? You got a voice? What do we do? One of the things, again, what did we say is the uniqueness of Christianity is it's a singing religion. It's a religion that sings. Why? Because of the grace of God, we respond to God's grace by saying thank you. One of the ways we do so is by singing. We express our thankfulness. Making melody. To sing, to chant, to sing in concert with such, with an instrument, and so on. Different ways that word is used in the Greek. Singing and making melody in your hearts. To the Lord. One of the challenges that I, I, I'm challenging myself again through this sermon prep is, is that I need to sing more in my daily devotions. I haven't done, I used to, much more. And I've realized that I need to sing more. Why? Because Paul says to do so speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. I say thank you. I use verbal, but I'm not singing as much as I used to. Pray for me. Pray for yourself. That, that would become more a habit. One author writes... Believers who have already been reminded of their sealing by the Spirit, chapter 4, verse 30, and enjoined not to grieve the Spirit, again, 4, verse 30, are now exhorted to allow the Spirit to have the fullest control that they are conscious of in their lives and to open themselves continually to the one who can enable them to walk wisely and to understand Christ's will 
and who can inspire their worship and thanksgiving. That's a great statement. To open themselves continually to the one, to the Holy Spirit, who can enable them to walk wisely, to understand Christ's will, and who can inspire their worship in thanksgiving. It leads to worship from the heart. What's the content of this singing? What is Paul is saying there? Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. God's word incorporated in the heart. Okay. Unless you have this with you, or I have the app, by the way. If you want the app from this, it's 10 bucks. You can have all, all the songs. But unless you have that or that, what do you, where do you go? What do you do? How do you sing? When I first came to Christ, when the Lord took hold of me, I was driving home, and I wanted to sing praise to God. I wanted to thank him, and I didn't know any Christian songs. It was so frustrating. And so I had to go back to my Roman Catholic folk mass and started singing Kumbaya, my Lord, Kumbaya, and Michael Rowe, his boat ashore. Not quite what I was looking for, right? But I didn't know any hymns. I didn't know any Christian songs. But I wanted to sing, and I didn't know. Well, guess what? I learned a lot of Christian songs because I saw that need. How about you? Are these hymns, are these songs, are they in your heart? Could you sing them if you were put on the spot? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound is. That one we got, right? Right? But are you singing them? Are you memorizing? One of the easiest ways to memorize something is how? Is to put it to music. I remember one person, one uh, young person learning the catechism. In order to memorize the catechism, what did that person do? Put it to music. Made it a lot easier. You want to memorize scripture? Put it to music. It's a lot easier. So what is the content of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? God's word, God's becomes our heart's song. Becomes the heart string that the Holy Spirit plays. Touches our heart when we sing. I'm reminded, the reason why I changed the hymn that we sang this morning, and I'm coming to a close, so those of you that are hanging there, we're almost there, but as I was meditating on this song that we just sang, 209, to me that sounds like the heart of Ambrose of Milan, as he's singing about God's glory, bright, light eternal bringing light, O light of light, lights, living spring, true day, all days illumining, come very sun of heaven, love, in lasting radiance from above, and pour the Holy Spirit's ray on all we think or do today. Is that a man that was meditating on the grace of God, on the work of the Spirit? Is he singing it back to the Lord? The answer is yes. Verse 20. 
and we'll close, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You've been diagnosed with cancer. Okay. Stage four, cancer. Is there a stage five? I think the highest it goes is four. How do you do that? Giving thanks always for all things to God. Thank you, Lord, for my cancer. Thank you, Lord, for what and put in. How does that, how do you do that? How do you say thank you, God, when everything goes down the tubes, when everything crashes and burns, when everything is discouraging? Well, again, from the heart, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. A thankful heart expresses reality in God. In other words, it, we stop and we say, as uh, Piper wrote an article, um, the idea of using your cancer, he says, for the glory of God. That God has gave him cancer and it caused him to stop and think about the sovereignty of God. God's in control. God's working this cancer for my good and his glory. It's that proper wise orientation. All things are working together according to his purposes for his glory and our good. Do we have that mind, the mind of Christ? Worst case scenario, when Jesus was being beaten, when he was praying in the garden beforehand. Pretty bad situation, right? He knows what's coming. He, he knows exactly what he's going, going to go through. And yet he says, nevertheless, thy will be done. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And so we are called, brothers and sisters, our reasonable worship our logical, uh, logical worship, our reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world. Be renewed by the spirit of your mind. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father in heaven, we do come before you, and we thank you, Lord, that you have, you have revealed the true religion, biblical Christianity. You are the revelation. You revealed your will. And you have granted unto us through the work of the apostles and prophets, through Jesus Christ, and now through the work of the Holy Spirit to bring this and apply it. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us the mind of Christ, and we pray that you develop our understanding, our, our knowledge, and our wisdom in that. We pray that you would enable us to submit to you, uh, submitting to God in the fear of God, that respect, that awesomeness, that our lives would be conducted in the, in the presence, uh, the awareness of the presence of God. We pray also, O oh Lord, that you would also enliven our hearts, that, that our hearts would rejoice in you, and, be, and we would find that 
habitual making melody in our hearts to you. And so we do pray, Lord, for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We pray these things for your glory's sake in Christ's name. Amen. Let us respond to God's word by giving of his tithes in our offerings. pray. Father in heaven, we do come before you and lay these tithes and offerings in your hands. We thank you, Lord, for providing for us our daily bread, the abilities to work, abilities to prosper. So we commit a portion of them, acknowledging that all comes from you. The ability to live and move and have our being comes from you. The ability to work, the ability to, to uh, find fruitful work, the ability to glorify you in the things that we say and do. So we thank you, Lord. We pray for management, uh, grace in managing these resources, as well as those that you have uh, kept in our, under our oversight. We thank you that you've called us to be managers of your resources, resources, and that includes our time, as your word said, redeeming the time. That includes our breath. That includes, includes our eyesight. That includes our minds. That includes our hearts. May truly you be Lord of all. And so we do commit to you this time, this life, this day. We pray, O Lord, also for our needs. We thank you, Lord, again for answered prayer. We have been praying uh, for a number of these items on the uh, bulletin in in the prayer list. And we have seen again and again you answer those prayers. And so we thank you. We thank you, O Lord, for answered prayer concerning the Shimits, that they were able to uh, have a judgment where they are legally now um, Mela's parents. We thank you, Lord, that the appeal process has been completed so that they have been legally her parents since December 1st. We do pray, O Lord, for tomorrow that uh, their helper, uh, their jo- uh, Joanna, uh, that she would be able to um, get the paperwork instead of it having to be mailed and everything be delayed, that she could pick up the paperwork tomorrow and that they could, as they have already scheduled a flight back to the States on next Sunday, we ask, O oh Lord, that that would occur and that they would be able to come home and bring their daughter home uh, to uh, North Dakota be with the boys as well as they have been away from their parents now for a number of weeks. We thank you, Lord, for that success. Uh, We do also uh, thank you, Lord, for answered prayer concerning uh, Reverend Michael Lassley, uh, that he is progressing um, uh, from the stroke. We do pray, O Lord, as um, he was supposed to be released and from the hospital, but now they're actually wanting him to stay um, until the 20th because of the constant improvement there. 
And so we ask that you would continue to enable him as he is wrestling with being able to use his right hand, his right arm, his right, right side of his body, as well as the ability to speak more clearly without slurring. We thank you for the progress so far, and we ask, O oh Lord, that you would continue to heal and, re- and restore him. We also lift up to you the church in Watertown and ask that you would uh, provide a pulpit supply, provide for the church during the time when their pastor is incapacitated. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would raise him up to be able to fulfill his calling. We also lift up to our brother Hank Bowen in Aberdeen. Uh, we uh, understand that he's been struggling with lower back pain that has been getting worse and worse. Um, he's going in for an MRI and uh, on the 19th. We ask, O oh Lord, for your wisdom for the doctors, wisdom for himself as he, in his activities, as well as comfort and relief from pain. Uh, we also lift up to you uh, Ethel, and uh, we do uh, pray that you would help her. She's also dealing a lot with pain. Uh, she has had that second radiation treatment last week, scheduled for two more this week. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would grant unto her victory and recovery. We ask that if it is your will, continue to cause her to serve you here. And we pray for comfort for the family and for um, uh, Ethel in particular. Uh, We do lay before you others in the congregation who are dealing with various difficulties. We think of Clayton and his eye. Uh, We think of Skip concerning his toe and also for Darlene, um, her need for hip surgery. We lay before you these and many other uh, difficulties that are being faced uh, Difficulties in relationships, difficulties in um, work. We think of those who are in need of work. We pray for provision for that. Uh, We lay before you not only our church, but we also lift up to you our brothers and sisters there in Weezer, Idaho, as they are desirous to see a church planted. We ask that you give wisdom to the steering committee as they meet today and help them to be able to to know uh, what your will is, and help us also, um, the spiritual council and consistory, as we oversee that work. Uh, We pray for your blessing. Uh, We lay before you our brothers and sisters throughout the U.S. We think of so many churches that are without pastors. We pray for that provision. We thank you, Lord, that there are many students in preparing for the ministry. We pray uh, for provision. We thank you, Lord, for the mission work in Montana and the opportunity that we had to help them out. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you would prepare and make the way for that pastor who's coming, who's been called and examined uh, from South Africa, open the door, make the way for him and his family to come and to serve there. We ask these things now for your glory's sake, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, for a closing hymn this morning, if you'll take that half sheet that you have in the bulletin, and turn it on the other side. We have a hymn of uh, Song of Hope. Uh, the author is uh, Paul Trike. He's a retired RCUS minister. And the, song, the tune is Love Divine, which you should be familiar with. Uh, and it is uh, taking Psalm 27. Um,
Okay, I'll give you homework. I know, I'm a teacher, I do that. If you have it sometime this week, keep this, go look at Psalm 27, and do a compare and contrast. He was inspired by Psalm 27, but there are changes in it, as you notice. And so see what, how he meditated, how he took the word and applied it personally. Receive now God's blessing and benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and smile and give you peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.